Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. It's July the 6th, 2023. You are listening to a special edition of Mornings with Carmen during this holiday week. Um, Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what does that mean? What is Jesus talking about? What are these I am statements that he makes? Jesus um, says of himself several times in the Gospel of John, you know, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. So when Jesus makes these statements, you have to remember that he is speaking in Aramaic. And in Hebrew, um, those I am statements would have been very significant because in, in stating them, Jesus is using a word that um, that Israelites never spoke. The Hebrew people, they respected God's name so much that they, they never said it. It was known as the ineffable tetemogram, the four letters that you, you didn't even speak. And yet Jesus not only speaks them, he claims to be them. So the people would have heard the echo of the announcement of the ever-present God to Moses at the burning bush. They They would have understood the claim that Jesus was making. They would have heard in their hearts and in their minds the story of Exodus 3, where Moses turns aside to meet with God at a bush that was burning but never consumed. So remember, when the descendants of Abraham, the people of Israel, were enslaved in Egypt, they cried out to God for deliverance. And God answered their cry by calling forth Moses to deliver them. And how did God get Moses' attention? Well, he set a bush ablaze, but it was not consumed. And that's where God uses this expression, I am who I am. You could read Exodus 3.14. That's where God introduces himself. And in English, I am who I am sounds like some big philosophical statement about God's existence. But in Hebrew, um, you would hear it um, as as a verb. Uh, I am. I will be. Um, I am present. I am. So the people of Israel um, understood God to be the God who was with them, um, the God who was with them throughout all generations, that, that this is the God who is the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. This, this is that God. This is the forever God, and this is his forever name. So when Jesus says, I am, the people who have ears to hear um, would have heard him saying, I am is here. I am, I am. I I am has sent me to you, and I am he. So eventually, as we see in John chapter 8, this claim got Jesus into quite a bit of trouble um, because the the people who understood themselves to, you know, to be the Jews of the day, you know, they say, hey, do you think you're greater than our father Abraham? 
And Jesus eventually says, well, actually, before Abraham was, I am. And that's when they picked up stones to actually uh, try to kill him. So before Abraham was, I am. So anybody who says that Jesus didn't claim to be God doesn't understand the I am claims of Jesus. And so we arrive today at this claim of Jesus that he is the light of the world. Um, When you read this in context, you hear Jesus say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And that's when the Pharisees challenged him. I mean, here you are appearing as your own witness. Um, you, You can't testify to yourself. And Jesus is like, well... Even if I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid because I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. Like, I know who I am. But you don't have any idea where I come from or where I'm going. And you're judging by human standards. And um, it's really um, me that passes judgment and not you. And so this conversation that Jesus seeks to have is about testimony. It's about witnesses. It's about truth. And he says um, at the end of that passage, I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the father who sent me. And they ask him, well, where is your father? And he's like, you don't know me or my father. If you knew me, then you would know who my father is as well. Um, And he's, he's seeking to help them understand when he says, I am the light of the world, he is laying claim to being the one who is the great I am. So let's take this image of light for just a moment, because it was in the beginning that God said, let there be light, and there was light. And in in the same way that the I am statement is not just a declaration of light, but a manifestation of it, when Jesus is like, I am the light of the world, I want you to think for a moment about when God said, let there be light, what happened? Well, there was light, and there is light because God turned on the light, and there is light because God sent the one who is the light to illuminate the hearts and minds and lives um, of, of people. So light and darkness are primary themes throughout the Gospel of John. I don't want you to miss that. Um, think about in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing that is made, um, ha- nothing was made that has been made, and in Him was life, and the life was, was what? The life was the light of all people, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light of the world. Um, He became flesh to dwell among us, full of God's grace and truth, in order that we might see his glory, in order that we might see God. That is um, the revelation to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. That's another great conversation about light and darkness. Um, And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, um, he is inviting us to see him for who he really is. And then he turns to his disciples in um, Matthew chapter 5. This is where we have the record of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. And that's where Jesus says to his disciples, you're the light of the world. Um, And he sends us as his disciples today to bear the light of the gospel to others, to bear the truth to others, to help those who are walking in darkness see the great light that is prophesied by Isaiah in chapter 9. Can you see Can you see the light? Can you see by the light? Jesus, in fact, is the light of the world. And so um, I would encourage you today to bear that light to others. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio.
This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Dave Buring is back with us. We're talking about the transformed life. This is the fourth uh, fourth part in our conversation about the transformed life. And today we land on the purpose of transformation. Dave, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. Mm-hmm. Aloha. <laughs> Aloha to you. <laughs> Uh, for those of you who don't remember, Dave spent um, some ministry time in Hawaii, and he and I just had an opportunity to be at a luau together where my favorite part was that fire guy. Is that not awesome? Yeah. The fire I, the fire knife dancer. Yeah, the fire knife dancer. <clears throat> more, mm-hmm. more on that some other time. Um, Dave, uh, the transformed life. Remind us about the transformed life, and then um, and then we'll talk about the purpose of it. So how do we arrive at this point in the conversation about the transformed life? Where, where have we been? Well, we've been talking about several pieces of it. We've talked about the process of transformation, how the way that things really transpire inside of us is God reveals something to us, like maybe from his word or by the Holy Spirit, he drops something in our heart and we see something that we know that we need to be obedient to. Um, out of our love for Jesus, we obey him, and then transformation comes. We use the phrase that obedience is the engine of transformation. Then we talked a little bit about the priority of transformation, that the thing he's really after in us is making us look more like Jesus, our gifts, our personality, the way we look, all of that, but that we look more like him. We use the Dallas Willard quote, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. I love that quote. And then, yeah, and then we talked last week about the proof of it and the proof of it being love, that the way we relate to people is out of love. And it's a place that we have capacity to grow in, be stretched in. But the, the more mature we get in the Lord, the real proof of transformation is that we sincerely love one another, which is laying our lives down for each other and choosing each other's highest good. So it lands us today at the purpose of transformation. So when we talk about the purpose of transformation, you know, I think that maybe as uh, sort of individualistic American Christians, um, my first thought is, well, God transforms me for my benefit. <laughs> God, yeah, exactly. God, trans- God transforms me for me um, yeah. because it's good for me and because it makes it able for me to um, to enjoy him. Like, right. But there's more to it than that. Can you talk with us about other purposes for which God is transforming us? Yes. It's like I I just was speaking somewhere recently about um, the topic of God and his kingdom. And we were talking about how, like, God loves us so much. Why did he not just grab us and take us to heaven when we gave our lives to Jesus? Like, why Mm. did he leave us here? And I think, you know, there's some practical pieces about you know, what it looks like to enjoy God, you know, being in his presence, um, enjoying creation, enjoying the relationships he's given us. There's all that piece. But I think there's also this piece of realizing that we're still here because there's work to be done. That in God's heart, he says in Revelation 5 that there will be standing before him one day people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And there are still groupings of people. I may, I know this may be interesting or a first time for some people to hear this, but there are still tribes and peoples in our world that do not have 
a regular witness of Jesus in their culture. There is still work to be done. And if we make that more personal, there are people in our lives whose families don't have a regular witness of Jesus within their family life. And that might be you. And so part of this whole area of the purpose is it's advancing God's kingdom through you and me. That's why we're still here. I have, uh, I have two thoughts about that in our own culture. My, um, my, my dear friend, Susan, who's now with the Lord, but um, she encountered a, a little girl um, in Chicago. Actually, this is just a couple of months before, um, before she died. Um, and they were, they were visiting some friends in a walk up. This little girl was just, you know, sitting out on the front stoop. And, um, and as Susan was passing by, um, you know, they caught eyes and, and they, you know, started a little chat and the girl pointed to Susan's neck and said, what's that? And Susan had to reach up there and feel and she, you know, she had her, she had a necklace on and it had a cross on it. And she said, you know, it's my necklace. And she said, no, what's that on the necklace? Mm-hmm. And she said, the, the cross? And the little girl said, yeah, what's that? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then another story from a friend walks into a jewelry store and um, is looking for a cross to give to his wife. And um, the woman behind the counter says, well, do you want, you, do you want the, the blank one or do you want the one with the little man on it? That's, wow. that's how little our own culture knows about yeah. the gospel. And so when we talk about every tribe and every nation, we're talking about our neighbors and we're talking right. about the people who live down the street and across the country. Um, we're yes. going to continue our conversation with Dave Buring in just a moment. We're going to talk about the purpose of the transformed life, the purpose of transformation, why God actually wants us to uh, be Jesus in the world today. We're going to talk about the kingdom of God and advancing God's kingdom in this generation. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Did you know that whatever you're experiencing today, whatever you're going through, the suffering, the challenges, the questions you have, God has something to say to you about all of it. We have an ongoing Reading Through the Bible Together series at MyFaithRadio.com, and we're exploring what God says about suffering, truth, and godliness. We're reading the book of 2 Timothy together. Did you know that God has given not a spirit of fear, but that God has given you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind? I mean, how cool is that? It's in 2 Timothy that God's Word says of itself, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that every person um, might be complete and equipped for every good work. So I'm wondering, would you join us in reading the Bible together at MyFaithRadio.com that you might be equipped through God's Word for the good works that He's prepared in advance just for you, and that you might discover that God is with you right now in whatever you're experiencing, the suffering, the challenges, the questions, God's got something to say about all of it. Join us at MyFaithRadio.com in reading the Bible together. This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. Continuing our conversation with Dave Buring from LionShare. You can find what we're talking about today and lots of other resources at LionShare.org. Talking about the transformed life, and today we're talking about the purpose of transformation. One of those purposes is advancing God's kingdom. And so as we advance God's kingdom in the world that he so loves, what does that look like? Um, Maybe, um, Dave, let's talk about some kingdom basics. I mean, we pray 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done mm. on earth as it is in heaven. How, how do we know what, what that is and what it would look like? Yeah, so a good way to look at it is when we think about what is going on in heaven right now, all the time, what's going on there? Because when Jesus prayed that prayer, thy kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's like, how do we pull what's going on in heaven, so to speak, down to earth where we live? And when when we're we think about heaven, one of the things that's always on display is God's character, like who he is, what he's really like, people actually seeing and experiencing him. Well, God wants that to be expressed through us as his followers. We are the ones that are supposed to be the revealers of God's character as we're in his word and we're letting him transform our lives. The more we live like, act like, respond like, talk like, think like God. We look more like him and then the world gets to see us perfectly. Of course not. And that's where then the principles of things like forgiveness and walking in humility and making things right, repentance, reconciliation, that's where that all comes in. But in heaven, God's character is always on display and his ways or how he does things and how he asks us to do those things. They're on full display. So that's for me, Carmen, kind of an easy way to go, oh, okay that's what it looks like. And then that transforms us into being carriers of his kingdom everywhere we go. When we talk about seeking first the kingdom of God, I mean, that would be another maybe kingdom Mm -hmm. reference that we could point to in in terms of things Jesus instructed. And so it's, it's, um, what does that look like? What does it mean in my life as a follower of Jesus, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, trusting that everything else is going to follow along. Yeah, and I think that's one that there's there's some lack in. And what I mean by that is, it's just there's not been a lot of discipleship, the purposeful pointing of followers of Jesus, how to live that way. And so I think for me, the way that I look at that, Carmen, is through the lens of, of when I get up, like this morning, and... Somewhere in my morning, as I'm getting ready, I I like to have some time with the Lord in the morning. I exercise. I have a conversation with my wife, Cheryl, you know, shower, get dressed, you know, all that out the door. Somewhere in there, am I, before I open the door to go out, that's kind of my mentality. Have I realigned my thinking to what is, is my heart prepared today for what Jesus might want to push through me with whom, whoever I'm with. Yeah. So is, is that like, an, do I have that as an awareness point? And that's where I feel like the breakdown comes is we're not even aware of that, which means when I'm not aware of that, that means there's going to be a lot of swings and misses today. There's going to be opportunities that the Lord put in front of me to be kind to somebody, to maybe stop and listen to someone who's in a tough spot and to, to pray for them. Um, It it may be an opportunity that I'm going to miss to build a relationship, or is there something about obeying Jesus that he put in my heart in that three to four in the afternoon conversation with somebody that maybe was not work-related, but maybe was more something where the Lord wanted me to just simply say, how are you? Like, are you you guys good? And, And the Lord had put that in my heart, but did I build in room? to actually do that? Did I skip past fear of what are they going to think and have the courage to be obedient? So when we don't have an awareness, 
that we are carriers of the kingdom, we miss out on a lot of opportunities. So I think it all begins right there. Fear is such a good um, one to point to. And when you say, um, you know, am I am I available in such a way that God can push through his 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 agenda, his words, his perspective, mm-hmm. that he can push those through me? I'm I'm envisioning, you know, like either an open conduit or mm-hmm. um, like a series of filters where, well, what are they going to think about me or what are they going to think of me or how is this going to <laughs> affect yeah. me do yeah. i do i really have time for this like all those filters all those barriers that i put yes. in in the way of god actually pushing through me into the life of another person that his kingdom might be advanced um that's a really good for me like visual of am i letting god push through me the things that he wants to today or am i really filtering him out so that yeah. I can get on with my own thing, whatever that is. That's that's really good, Dave. Um, well, and can ahead. I illustrate that? Yeah, please. So, so for example, uh, one day I was out on a walk, and I was out on this walk. I noticed a a, a mom and her daughter, college age daughter, and it was a little cool s- September morning. And she, I remember the daughter having her hands, both hands wrapped around her coffee mug that she was holding, you know, just keeping her hands warm. And I stepped off the sidewalk as I was passing them. And I simply said, good morning. And they replied in the same. And I got back up on the sidewalk after passing them and continued to walk. And seconds, seconds after this, I felt like I heard the Lord inside say, when you're on your way back, I want you to stop and talk with him. Mm. Well, I looked down the road and I still had about another three blocks to walk before I turned around, kind of my walking routine. So I said, okay, Lord, if that's you, they're going to have to be there. And I just left it at that. And I, I walked down the three blocks. I turn around. As I turn around, I see them, but they're now walking, you know, back the other way, the same direction I'm going, but 300 or three blocks ahead of me. So again, I said, okay, Lord, they're going to have to be there. Well, sure enough, I'm now 20 paces behind them and this is going to happen. And so I, I don't even really know what to say. I just know I'm supposed to stop. And so I pass by them again, get off the sidewalk and touch the road and pass them on the other side of the sidewalk. And I turn to them, giving them about 10 feet as they're walking. And I said, hey, I know I stopped and said, good morning. That's all I said. Because I was interrupted. Because the college age woman took gave her coffee cup to her, her mom and she walked absolutely uncomfortably close to me like her her mm-hmm. head maybe you know 12 to 18 inches away and she said i want you to know that i go to the same church that you do and you spoke a sunday ago about such and such and that such and such is exactly what i needed to hear because i've been in a very dark place and mm-hmm. right there her mom and i stood on the sidewalk and prayed together and about six weeks later she sent me an email she said you know have no idea how your step of obedience in that moment has led to transformation now in my family. Mm. And and like, Carmen, I could have missed it. I could have missed that moment. And so I think it's important that we just learn to listen throughout the day because God has a plan. And, and about a year later, six months later, my wife, Cheryl, invited that late young lady to join three others and for a year took them through discipleship journey and, and discipled them. And that relationship would not have happened if I didn't stop. So, so I just want to remind us a big part of advancing God's kingdom is being obedient to the little things God drops in your heart today. That's so good. That's so good. Hey, if you um, just heard Dave say discipleship journey and 
you thought to yourself, I would, I would like to go on a discipleship journey um, with, with a group of people. Um, check it out, A Discipleship Journey. You can find it at lionshare.org. Um, Dave, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you for the, the reminders. Thank you for the invitation. Um, thank you for the, the example. Um, we genuinely appreciate it. Thanks. appreciate the example you are, too. Have a great day. You too. You too. That's Dave Buring. You can find him and lots of resources for your discipleship journey at lionshare.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Sometimes we hear the word worldview. People uh, bounce it around a lot. We hear the word word worldview, and we wonder, like, what is this person even talking about? And so I want you to think for a moment the lens through which you you look, the lens through which you see everything that you see, your lens of interpretation. Um, You might think of people who look at the world through rose-colored glasses, right? So think of the lens that you are looking through as you interpret the world and everything in it, the world and everyone in it. Um, And so I often describe my worldview as a gospel worldview. And why do I do that? Well, because I think that to describe something as a biblical worldview or even a Christian worldview, you then have to describe or define what do you mean by biblical and what do you mean by Christian? So you might say to yourself, it's perfectly obvious what a biblical worldview is. Really? Because from a biblical worldview— I could argue lots of things in lots of different directions um, because even let's take marriage, for example, there are lots of examples in the Bible of people uh, being in marriages that are not God honoring or God glorifying. There are ways in which people throughout time have perverted God's original design of marriage. But from a biblical worldview, if you're just going to use that term, you could argue that marriage is um, multiple um, that, uh, anyway, you, you, maybe you see my point. So I don't use the term biblical, um, and I don't use the term Christian because when you talk about a Christian worldview, the challenge is, well, what do you mean by that? Who's Christianity? What season of Christianity? What flavor or variety of Christianity? And so I like to use, um, the term gospel worldview, because then I get to tell people what the gospel is. And it's more than just, um, do you know the name of Jesus? That is obviously part of the gospel. But the gospel is actually a cosmology. It's a way of experiencing and looking at all of history and all of life, the world and everything in it, and every person. So when it comes to worldview, one of the best thinkers of our day is Christopher Watkin. His book is Biblical Critical Theory, How the Bible's Unfolding Story Makes Sense of Modern Life and Culture. And before you Um, resist the term critical theory, let me just tell you that all critical theory really means is the lens through which you see everything and respond and invite others to see. It's the totalizing system. It's the theory of everything. You could call it a cosmology. You could call it a worldview. Or yes, you could call it a critical theory. How do you see existence, life, death, eternity, morality, ethics, politics, education, marriage, sex, family, identity, race, money, sin, legacy, everything? 
Um, all that I am and all that I have and all that I know and all that I do and all that I say and all that I will be forever and ever, including my view of history and the future, this totalizing system of the way we view things. You could call it a worldview. Or like Christopher Watkin, you could call it a critical theory. So what is biblical critical theory and how uh, does the Bible's unfolding story help us make sense of modern life and culture? You're listening to a special edition of Mornings with Carmen, Christopher Watkin, up next. This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. Hey, excited, really excited to be welcoming today Christopher Watkin. He is a pre- professor, associate professor of French studies at Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. But today he's joining us to talk about, I really think it's the book we've all been waiting for, but maybe didn't know we really needed, Biblical Critical Theory, How the Bible's Unfolding Story Makes Sense of Modern Life and Culture. Christopher, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. It's lovely to be here. So I love the way that you talk about the 20-year itch. I delight in in the book that you have written, and I confess I didn't even know that I was waiting for it and looking for it until you put it in my hands. So can you talk about the 20-year itch you're scratching with this book? I certainly can, yes. It's, it's an itch that started for me when I was an undergraduate at university. And I found myself living in sort of two separate worlds, really. There was the world of my studies, where it was all Marx and Freud and Nietzsche, and we were churning out these essays week after week about these these critical theorists. And then there was the world of my church and my Christian union at university, where we were taking the Bible seriously, trying to read it slowly, trying to apply it to, to all of our life. And it struck me that there was no conversation, no place in my life where these two different ways of looking at the world could could interact with each other Um, sort of decided that I wanted to try and find a way to bridge that gap, not to sort of pretend that they were saying the same thing, but to to say, look, if the Bible had a place at this table of all these different social theories that are flying around in society, what distinct, unique contribution would it make? How would it change that conversation? Which takes us to this language of social theory. Lots of people have maybe heard of critical theory, critical race theory. Not everybody went to, you know, a smarty pants, fancy institution of higher learning where they even heard this language. When you talk about social theory or social theories, what are what are we talking about? Can you frame that for us? Absolutely. Look, I think it's a big word for a really ordinary everyday thing. And the everyday thing is that there's too much going on in the world for us to pay attention to all of it. And so we've each got to make choices. You know, what what do we think is important out there in the world? Um, and what are we going to pay attention to? And a social theory helps you to make those choices. It makes some things in the world visible. Like a lot of contemporary social theories will say, focus on you know, power relations. That's what's really important in society or perhaps focus on the oppression of women in society. That's what you should pay attention to. And these social theories make things valuable as well. Um, you know, you, you need to uh, really look out for 
the weak and vulnerable in society. That's what you should value. And the, the Bible, among all the other things that, that the Bible does, also does the same thing. You know, of course, the, the Bible is primarily making us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And also it's making certain things out there in the world visible to us. Uh, like, for example, the glory of God in creation. You know, if you hadn't read the Bible, you might never have thought looking up at a beautiful sunset. Wow, that speaks to me of the glory of God. Mm. And the Bible says, look, pay attention to that. Notice that in the world. And so that's all that a, a social theory really is. It's making certain things in the world visible and certain things in the world valuable to us. I liked the way that you talk about in introducing us to this idea of figures, because this is a part of this. Some things are brought into the foreground and we pay attention to them. We focus on them and everything else recedes into the background. As I was reading this portion, I thought to myself, I wonder if that's what um, the gospel writer John meant when he said, look, if we had actually written down all the things that Jesus ever said and did, uh, said and did the you know the world wouldn't be large enough to contain all the books that would have to be written. There are things that are brought forward that we focus on, and other things that are allowed to recede into the background. And the Bible consistently brings forward certain things. And what I hear you saying is, we actually need to understand that, and we need to understand the the biblical social theory, because there are lots of theories that put themselves forward as competitors to that. Absolutely. And isn't it just brilliant the way the Bible does that? So if you look at ancient histories, they're all about Caesars, aren't they? They're all about the big, important people in society. You know, pay attention to the, and it's always the man, isn't it? Pay attention to the man at the top. And then the Bible comes along and you sort of get probably one or two mentions of kings, but it's, it's all about a bunch of fishermen and a carpenter. Um, and it's just it just overturns all our expectations about what we should pay attention to in society. Again, we are talking with Christopher Watkin. We're talking about um, his new book, Biblical Critical Theory, How the Bible's Unfolding Story Makes Sense of Modern Life and Culture. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and I'm Carmen LaBerge. Did you know that whatever you're experiencing today, whatever you're going through, the suffering, the challenges, the questions you have, God has something to say to you about all of it. We have an ongoing Reading Through the Bible Together series at MyFaithRadio.com, and we're exploring what God says about suffering, truth, and godliness. We're reading the book of Second Timothy together. Did you know that God has given not a spirit of fear, but that God has given you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind? I mean, how cool is that? It's in 2 Timothy that God's Word says of itself, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that every person um, might be complete and equipped for every good work. So I'm wondering, would you join us in reading the Bible together at MyFaithRadio.com that you might be equipped through God's Word for the good works that He's prepared in advance just for you? And that you might discover that God is with you right now in whatever you're experiencing. The suffering, the challenges, the questions. God's got something to say about all of it. Join us at MyFaithRadio.com in reading the Bible together. We believe in God the Father. This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Even the Holy Spirit and He's given us new life. We believe 
Continuing our conversation now with Christopher Watkin, the book is Biblical Critical Theory, How the Bible's Unfolding Story Makes Sense of Modern Life and Culture. Um, Christopher, maybe you can explain to us what figures are. I was intrigued by this. This is um, a new way of thinking about things for me, and I'm guessing that it might be new for others as well. We need to understand the figures and the relationships between them so that we can move forward uh, into the conversation about this framework of understanding culture. So tell us about the figures. Yeah, thank you, Carmen. I, it's just a word that helps us to get a handle on the idea that the Bible has certain signature moves that it makes time and time again. Uh, for example, there's the idea that God overturns our expectations of who should go first in life. And it's mm. something that theologians have often called the great reversal. You know, so it's the octogenarian Abraham and his wife, Sarah, who become the, you know, the parents of many nations. It's Jacob, the younger son that's chosen. It's David, the shepherd boy who's chosen. You know, Jesus, again, is a, is a carpenter. He's not a king. And this idea that, that God always systematically seems to choose the, the, the weak and the overlooked becomes then a distinctively biblical figure of the way that God deals with reality. And what I try to do in the book is identify these repeated patterns of the way that, that God acts and the way that the Bible sees the world. And then I try to use those as ways to, to read and interact with modern society. So if, if we come at our modern world through a biblical lens using these figures, what does it look like and how can we critique and how can we serve modern society using these biblical figures? And culture has its own set of figures as well, and they are all influencing me all the time. It's not as if I can, I, I could imagine engaging with the Bible as if I'm not a person that is a part of immersed in um, a particular point in time in a particular cultural reality. Can you talk about that? I think it's, I think it's the portion where you talk about how we, uh, how we as the reader approach the text and how the text. Do you do you know what I'm trying to point to there when I talk about me reading the text and how I approach it, how I arrive at it? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think you, you put your finger on an incredibly important point there, that the society around us and, and our culture is really expertly catechizing us every mm. day, um, not just in the, the overt messages. You know, there's the, the adverts that you see, you know, like this sort of perfume, buy these sort of clothes, all of that, sure, but also in lots of subtler ways as well. You know, the very fact that I own a smartphone and I can call any piece of information that I can think of in the world, it, it puts me in the place of, you know, puts me right in the center of that world as almost a, a king who can call anyone into his presence. And all these tiny little ways of interacting with things in the world shape a particular sense in me of who I am and how I should expect the world to behave around me. You know, there's been this controversy, hasn't there, about how the voice assistants on these mobile phones always uh, are female voices. Little mm. little aspects like that of, of my world are all telling me what I should expect and what I should value. And if Christians, I guess, aren't aware of all these many, many ways in which we've been catechized every day, 
then we become unable to to think about it and to to evaluate that because it just goes under our radar. And it's that person that arrives at the text. And so I come to the text um, catechized in whatever cultural moment I happen to live in. And, you know, and this is mine, 21st century uh, America. And I can't say that I then arrive at the text and whatever the text has to say to me, I'm going to be able to apprehend and appreciate because I'm reading it through a lens. Can you talk about that um, process, how I arrive, how I'm changed, and then, you know, how I go forward from encountering the text, hopefully as a different person? Absolutely. It, it's, I guess it's fundamental to, to the Christian life that the, the Bible <laughs> rubs us up the wrong way, isn't mm-hmm. it? You know, if a Christian comes to the Bible and reads it through and puts it down and says, well, that was what I was thinking all along, <sighs> then something's gone wrong. Um, that we, we should all be rubbed up the wrong way, made a bit angry once in a while, uh, flummoxed once in a while by the Bible. And, and if we are, then we know we're not just polishing a mirror and looking at our our own image in it but we're actually looking through a window into a world that's that's different to our own and i i guess one thing i'm encouraging all christians to do in the book is to to embrace those moments in the bible where you read it and say oh i i i really don't like the way that that's put or that makes me uncomfortable or i'm i'm not sure that that can be true because those i guess are the moments that allow us to to grow and change the moments when the bible is does have sharp corners for us where where we don't quite like the way that it puts something that's a moment where my catechized world can be challenged when i tell you that um that this book is long and hefty um you might be put off but let me tell you this is a book that is written for you one of the things that christopher says about this book is i want to explore how the world of the Bible refigures our contemporary world with all its priorities, values, assumptions, and desires. What I am presenting in this book is Christianity at its best, the Christianity of Christ, which is all too often not the Christianity of Christians. You talk in here about the fact that we do live at this peculiar moment in history where there are all these assumptions and values in the culture that I would describe as like the shadow of the shadow of the shadow of faith. Like there's some residue in our culture that is Christian. There's a Christian imprint there, but the Bible is largely unknown, misunderstood, and condemned. Can you talk about the why or maybe the so what of this book right now? Yeah, I think you are absolutely right. It's a strange historical moment that we live in. Um, Christians are very often today getting beaten with the stick in public. Um, Mm. But the weirdness of the situation is that the stick has been stolen from Christians. Like the the (laughs) values that are being used to to say that that Christians are sort of the the bad guys today are actually Christian values originally. And so Christians find themselves in this strange situation where people are saying, you know, you're against freedom you are against equality and so forth and and these are ideas largely that that christians have introduced into the tradition over the years all right my um my favorite um part of this is your discussion of the bible out narrating its cultural rivals so help us understand how 
um, if rightly understood, all other stories find their place within this story. This was a real penny drop moment for me, Carmen, I think, in the, the road to writing this book. Where, when I, I stopped seeing the Bible as a, a series of really important stories with a meaning, and, and I started seeing it as, as one story from the mm. first page to the last. It's unfolding a view of reality, a complex view of reality, in which we can live. It's not just one story within the world, but it's actually the story of the world. And more than that, it's the story that makes sense of everything in the world. Uh, It's the story that makes sense of us as human beings with all our complexities and all our wonderful qualities, but also all our, our depths of depravity. It's, it's a story that makes sense of the, the natural world and its, its beauty and its, its terror. It's a story that makes sense of politics and everything like that. And I think it's, it's that sense of without this story, Christians are always responding to the terms of debate set by other people and trying to fit the Bible and Christianity into categories made by by others but if if we embrace this story and live within it we begin to see that the bible actually reorders all the categories that are out there you know the categories of both both the left and the right politically um the categories of all these different cultural and social theories the bible says well you're sort of as, as you so beautifully put it a moment ago you've got a shadow of a shadow of a shadow there but let me let me introduce you to the reality, the thing that you're grasping for, uh, but don't manage to uh, to fully embrace. I um I love this work. I love what you've written. I hope we can talk more about it. Christopher Watkin brings to us biblical critical theory: how the Bible's unfolding story makes sense of modern life and culture. One of my favorite parts of this is the spirit in which it sends us forth into the world that God so loves. Um, not only with the truth, but to really present the truth in ways that genuinely honor Jesus. So, um, you know, I, I this is right in line with what we talk about every day here on Mornings with Carmen. And I just feel like, Christopher, you have equipped us with such fresh insight and you've done it in a way um, that is so God honoring and will be so uplifting to the conversations of the day. So thank you so much. Well, look, if by God's grace I've done that, then, then praise him. That's a wonderful thing for him to have achieved. Amen. Amen. Uh, that's Christopher Watkin. We will uh, seek to have him on again. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Hey, today is July the 6th, and I have just learned that it is International Kissing Day. So there's that. Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, in all appropriate ways, like, you know, lay a kiss on somebody today. Um, All right. Have you already signed up in our Reading the Bible Together series at MyFaithRadio.com? We are embarking on reading through 2 Timothy. I would encourage you to join us. We're going to see what God has said and how God speaks into our lives and how all Scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful. And so let's allow God to speak through that which He has already spoken as we read the Bible together and are equipped for every good work that God has prepared in advance for us to do. we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next.
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.